So welcome to episode six of Conversations on Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. And joining me on the panel today is Liz and Sabine, uh, with episode notes done by myself and Kata. So welcome everyone. Hi. Hello, hello. So episode six, the screenplay was done by James Wiley, and it was directed once again by Lawrence Wilson. And episode synopsis will be read out today by myself. Trudy's illness has worsened, and Bray's persistent disappearances are increasingly aggravating the the group. Meanwhile, Lex has an apparent change of heart when it comes to Trudy's well-being, and Bray's secret may finally be revealed, or will it? You need anything? Food? Water? My mom? She was brilliant when people were ill. So um, episode six opens with um, a little emotional insight into loss of the adults as we hear an exchange between Selene and Amber who are, looking, who are trying to look after a delirious Trudy. So um, when they're struggling to calm her, Amber lets down her guard a little and reflects on her own mum and how great she was whenever anyone was ill. Um, aside from the kids, this is kind of the first time that like, one of the older ones amongst the group has kind of reflected on the loss of the adults. Um, yeah, what do you think about that little scene and... As well and does this little insight into amber help you connect with her a little bit more i think for me it gave amber a lot more likable personality yeah it showed her as an actual human being instead of this robot that's just going through the motions and every- with everything i like it because it's really important to be reminded that <clears throat> you're going to meet people who seem to always have it under control they always seem to be uh, very in tune with themselves and very mature and it can be easy to forget that that's a choice they're making every day that they're battling their own fears and insecurities all the time and um, that they're not any more or any less susceptible to fear or insecurities as you are they're just making the choice every day to be as productive as possible and I think it's important for the audience to be reminded that Amber's a kid too you know she's not <clears throat> immune to the situation they're all in and yet she's still making the choice all the time to do the best thing she can at any given moment and uh you know it says a lot about the other characters who are choosing to do the exact opposite yeah it's possible that because um amber is so aware of how much she misses her own mother that she recognizes that in everybody else that that's what they need and that's what she's willing to be I think she actually says that at some point, not in this episode, but at another point where she's so tired of being everybody's mother. Yeah. This moment just shows that, like all the others, she does need her mom. She's only really let her guard down, like, complaining about Bray so far, really, <laughs> the most. So it's, it's quite nice to get this little insight into her about, about something a bit more personal. It's also kind of the first insight to, since, like you said, this is the first time we hear one of the older kids reference their parents and missing them. It tells you just how much these kids aren't allowing themselves to think about what's been lost. It's the only way to survive. They can't ever dwell on it. But every now and then, you know, they can't help but feel that loss of what isn't there anymore. And yet every day they have to push it to the back of their head and just deal with the reality 
Because you would think these kids didn't care that the adults were gone, you know? But it's just a coping mechanism so they can get by every day. She's the first one to mention her mom, though, of the older kids. But the moment Trudy mentioned her mom was just mid-bird. So it made total sense for her to say, I want my mom. Oh, yeah. yeah. You guys! I'm Goodman! Yeah, actually, that leads us on to obviously another emotional scene um, later on within the episode um, with um, Dao, who finally makes it to the Group 9 hospital, um, where it's revealed that his parents worked. Um, yeah, I thought that was quite a touching scene, actually, um, where he picks up the family photo of his parents um, and obviously the medical jacket where he s- smells it to try and get their scent. That was hopefully captured on it. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts about when you saw that scene? Um, and obviously, as you got older, did you connect with it more when you yourself experienced any loss? Like, yeah, what do you think about like that scene of loss? It's a reminder how you don't lose people all at once. You lose them in pieces. The things, like when Dal goes there, he's very stoic, straight-faced. And then, then he allows himself to suddenly look at the surgery. And you can see his, the, the wheels in his head turning, how much time he must have spent there, seeing his parents there. Seeing his name on the calendar, you know, that his father or his mother had written, Dal, Cricket, you know, and then he starts to smile and his eyes light up because he's allowing himself to remember this good time in his life, the love he had with his parents, their picture and the coat. And he actually stops and looks around the office with this fond expression on his face and just he's giving himself a second to remember that. And then you see it all go away. His, his smile drops, his expression kind of deadens as he just puts the picture down and leaves the surgery. He got what he came for. He has to go back to the reality of his life. He doesn't take anything with him. He doesn't take the picture, the coat, nothing. He just got the medicine. Now he has to go. He only had that brief respite. And then it's back to real life. It's like waking up from a dream. It only surprised me that he didn't bring the picture, take the picture with him. It's something so small, he could have easily taken it with him. I always found that really emotional because like, it was just too painful to live in the past. And obviously, yeah. Dal, Dal's quite a forward-thinking person. So like, yeah, it was quite sad, but yeah. <laughs> yeah it fits his character not to want to look to the future and not to the past. But. Because Dal doesn't, he's not known for keeping sentimental objects. Because, yeah, like you said, he can't afford to live in the past. It hurts too much. It's just safely locked away somewhere in his mind. It was, uh, it was written quite, like, in an adult way, if that makes sense. Like, the smelling of the coat and the, the place in back of the photo. I thought it was written, like, really well for, like, a children's show. Like, that kind of sense of loss. I think the fact that it was, it was written so adult makes us seem, see more of the children and how they have to be new adults now. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Because I don't think I could have left the picture behind. I don't think I could have been that mature to let it go. I would have tried to drag all of my all my mementos with me. <laughs> I'd have a whole bag. Nothing, nothing good in it. It would just be like memories. This is a plastic bag that my dad once used when we went fishing. And <laughs> there's, there's one small detail that annoys me about this scene though and that's the fact he just takes one specific bottle of medicine he has a whole frigging bag that he could stuff that whole drawer in 
Yeah, I I noticed that too. I mean, I get it. You know, he's just thinking of what he needs to save Trudy. But I'm like, are you planning on coming back here now? You could use all of that medicine. <laughs> just take it all with you. I was just about to go on to that point because, <laughs> yeah, the hospital isn't actually really looted that much. <laughs> There's a lot of things still there. Um, and obviously, Amber makes a fantastic speech. Yes, well, Dal didn't quite <laughs> get everything either. So, you know, yeah. there's so many things you could have grabbed, just grab it all. You sort it out when you're at the mall. <laughs> yeah, he could have grabbed more stuff, but I mean, obviously, yeah, I know he was focused on Trudy, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I admit, I noticed the same thing. I was like, why is he sorting through the pills? Just take them all. <laughs> <laughs> Surely, there were there was good stuff amongst that. Oh, for sure, there must have been, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wonder if it was to make the point that Dal knew exactly what he was looking for, you know, because we got all these pill bottles, and as an adult, I won't lie, I don't have a lot of experience with medication, I didn't grow up with med medicinal uh, intervention in my life, so I admit, I would be staring at these pills like, I don't know which one I'm supposed to have, so this is a nice visual of how smart Dal is and how much he picked up about his parents and their studies and their profession, that he knew exactly what bottle to get. So maybe it was a visual shorthand for kids, that he's that clever. I don't know. Maybe, because, I mean, normally pill bottles don't say antibiotics on the outside. Mm. They say what type they are, but not... Yeah, the specific what drug. Type. Yeah. I mean, that's just me coming up with an excuse. <laughs> I don't know. I would have just grabbed the whole lot. And, you know, worst case scenario, the locos grab you and you just chuck some of the meds at them. I mean, that's a point as well, because the way the scene was like framed, like the locos are just outside capturing some like strays. Um, they must have looted the hospital before. It's just... It's a bit weird, but yeah. And he is in his father's personal office. He's not, like, in a storeroom, so... Yeah, he's not in a pharmacy area, so... I mean, he was just down the corridor. <laughs> they must have they must have gone through at some point and searched the hospital. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but because it looks like just an examination room, would they have actually looked in drawers for medication? I mean, most doctors I, don't, I know don't have their medication stored in their... Like in their drawers. Mm, but that's the thing, though. The, obviously, the kids, the locos, they don't know. So they would have just checked everywhere, innit? They would have just raided mm -hmm. the whole place or any other tribe. But yeah. <laughs> most locos never came across as that smart, though. It's believable that they've looted the whole place, but it's also believable that they skipped this office. It looks like a personal space. Why would a doctor have a bunch of medicine in there? They, they probably found the room with all the medicine they could possibly need. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely like a, a dark fanfic there. It's <laughs> finding all the drugs, but yeah. I actually work in um, a medical office doing cleaning and stuff. And so if I was going to loot the place in a hurry, I would probably go to one of the big rooms where I knew all the medicine was. I wouldn't bother checking all the, the minor offices. I admit yeah. that. And especially, I was just like, oh, well, all the medicine I need is here. I just grab what was on those shelves, fill my bags, and leave. And yeah, fair enough. Sure, yeah. I'd probably do the same thing, given a chance, in need. Like, if you were going to loot Walmart, you would take what's on the shelves. You wouldn't go and check, like, the employee cubbies in the back. <laughs> like, <Nope. laughs> even though there might be some useful stuff there, 
everything you need is out on the shelves. So why don't you just take that? You know. I mean, yeah, that's true. But I mean, it's a, it's a hospital. It's a bit different. So, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's getting hurt and all the drugs there. Like, you think they'll be a bit more meticulous i guess well of course we're adults we're thinking logically we're thinking <laughs> long-term survival and we've already seen that the locals were not thinking long-term anything oh yeah <laughs> hey who knows what kind of those meds the locals took most of these kids are just in the moment i mean bray didn't pick up scissors and he spent <laughs> nine months with a girl that he knew was gonna give birth and need scissors so <laughs> Some of these kids aren't really thinking that far ahead. They're in the moment. <laughs> You've been on Bray's case ever since you first laid eyes on him. And the only reason you're defending him is because you fancy him rotten. Who? Bray, of course. You fancy him. No, I don't. Speaking of Bray... <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> Everybody loves Bray. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about like the crushes that everyone seems to have on Bray at the moment. Obviously, ever since his arrival, um, all the girls have been kind of, let's just say, crushing on him a little bit. Um, and in this episode, we see Sandra outright telling Celine that she fancies Bray Rotten. Um, and obviously, we know the looks that Amber has been giving him as well. Um, yeah, what do you just think about like that attraction that everyone seems to have on Bray at the moment? Teenage me totally agreed with Celine. I mean, he was just, he looked like he was just walking out of a boy band. <laughs> I, I totally get it. It makes perfect sense. Like, I can judge Bray as an adult, and I've got lots of questions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if I was, you know, 15 years old, living in this new world where might makes right, and literally you don't have that high a standard of what you like in, you know, your preferred gender that you're into, it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't take much for them to win you over. And here comes a guy who is nice, He's handsome. Um, he looks like he can hold his own in this world where you're always having to protect yourself physically. And he is not a threat to you. And that's really important to a teenage girl. That's why girls that age tend to find, fall for sexless, you know, situations. Because it's not threatening. It's, it's not terrifying. You know, where Lex is far more aggressive, which can scare a lot of girls. Bray isn't. He doesn't make any of those moves. He's not overtly flirtatious. Um, he's safe. And it's like, wow, here comes this guy who showed up and he was nice to us. He didn't threaten us. And he's taking care of a pregnant girl. Oh my gosh, he's so dreamy. He's so kind. How lucky you are, Trudy, to have this guy who would take care of you. And you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> you know, Celine and Amber and even Zondra's like, yeah, you know, he's a catch, especially in the world they're living in. He's the guy that would be, well, like, prom king. Yeah, definitely. That's the... That's the first thing I think of when I see Bray in that age, you know? But that's what I really love about it, because they deliberately cast Dwayne and Caleb to fit a physical archetype, and their makeup matches it, and their hair, you know, and they're meant to be those two diametrically opposed guys that young girls often fall for, and yet at the same time they present them as very human bray looks like the dream boy he looks like the lead singer of the boy band and yet his whole episode is about him burning all these bridges of trust with these people <laughs> and they're left just like every character is like what is his deal i i liked him and now i don't know what to think of him and i don't know if i can trust him 
I love that. I love how they, they dissemble Bray's character. <laughs> they make you question, is he really all that great? Is he really a nice guy? He's talking to the leader of the Locos. Can you trust him? Or did you just fall for a pretty face? I love it. I think as a teenager back then, I liked him up until the point where he told Chloe <laughs> that, the, that if she spoke about him seeing Zoot, he would make sure her pet cow got killed and turned into dinner. Oh my gosh, I love that scene so much. Can we jump to that scene? <laughs> oh, I was just about to um, segue into that scene, so that's perfect. So <laughs> He's bad. If he's your friend, I should tell Amber. Believe me, he's no friend of mine. Now listen, if you keep my secret, I'll say nothing to the others about Bluebell. If they find her, do you know what they'll want to do to her? They'll want to eat her. That's right. They'll want to kill her, cook her, and eat her. No! It's your choice. If you say nothing about Zoot, I'll say nothing about Bluebell. Well, our secret. Let's talk about that shocking meeting that happened um, in the kind of train railway yard with Bray and Zoot. It, it was quite a shocking scene because um, you see Zoot for the first time, like genuinely laughing, <laughs> and you're not quite sure exactly what's going on. But um, was did you when you originally watched that scene? Um, did you think that yeah, Bray was indeed a traitor, um, or did you think there was definitely something else going on? Um, and yeah, what what did you feel about him blackmailing Chloe? in that way <laughs> sorry i love <laughs> him messing with chloe i didn't i don't remember my first reaction to him being with zoot but i definitely was like oh oh boy oh man maybe lex really is on to something because the last time bray did something kind of shady we were allowed to see what he was doing oh okay he's getting supplies He's not a bad guy. But here he is. He takes off as soon as he knows Trudy is seriously ill and that someone that literally has to go get medicine for her and he leaves. And you think, okay, maybe he's going after Dal or something like that. And instead, you find him, you know, with Zoot. And you've just spent this whole episode, there's scenes showing you what Zoot's doing the whole time, reinforcing that he's a thug, that he's dangerous, that he's a bad guy. He's tying people to poles. He's tying them to the car and making them run behind it. You know, <laughs> he's rounding up slaves. And now Bray is talking to him. And yeah, it's like, okay, I don't really know what to think of you anymore. I don't know if you actually can be trusted. What is your deal, dude? But afterward with Chloe, I love it. It's creepy. It's filmed <laughs> to be creepy. Everything about his behavior is like someone grooming a child. It's so manipulative and <laughs> settling. And Dwayne delivers the line like a creeper. It's so oh, good. Yeah. So you're seeing it the way Chloe would, where it's just like, I don't know if I can trust you. I'm really uncomfortable about this. And then when he throws her cow into the mix, and the way he says the line, do you know what they'll do if they find her? They'll want to kill her, cook her, and eat her. Like, he, <laughs> he says it. Like, he's so mean. He knows exactly what to say to this little girl. He did it's that just, line so well. Um, it was quite... Everything he's saying is so unsettling. It'll be our secret. Like, oh no, red flags, Chloe, run! <laughs> <laughs> they want you to think he's a creep, and they do a really good job with that. 
it's like he doesn't even just do it once because obviously again yeah. at the, in the park later on he's really quite really mean it's like yeah you have to get back otherwise trudy's gonna die he's like <laughs> he's very like pushes it quite hard on chloe poor chloe <laughs> But I also like the fact that Chloe tries to blackmail him too, just so she can play at the park. Yes. You don't let me play. I'll tell them about Sue. <laughs> oh my goodness, that whole scene is just so unsettling and fun and just... I mean, especially looking back and you know what the deal is, but at the time, ah, it, will, it definitely throws you for a loop and it makes you question how you feel about these people. It's great. And Sue was laughing. Like, what's a... Yeah. Who's this guy? It instantly makes you realize that Bray and Zoop must must be going way back to have that response and that sort of communication between them. Even though we can't hear a single word they're saying, they don't respond to each other as if they just met. No, no, not at all. This is two people. And especially the fact that the way you see the shot of Zoot sneaking off alone, it's very imperative. They don't want anyone else to see them together. And they're very familiar with each other. And so you're just like, what could Bray be telling him? What is going on? I mean, that brings up a point as well. <laughs> like Chloe running towards Zoot, but <laughs> that's, that's a question for another day, probably. <laughs> I know. Why are you doing that, Chloe? Go away. <laughs> Run away from the danger. I think she just saw him and she just had to know. She's a bold one. I, yeah, she's very curious, but like, you've got a pet cow. <laughs> you're not going to be that stealthy. You're, you're running after Zoop to see what he's doing. Like, <laughs> Come on, Chloe. Come on, I know. <laughs> I always wondered about Chloe a bit, because I would have done the same thing as she did. What, run towards danger? <laughs> yep. <laughs> At that age, absolutely. I know, I'll be the opposite direction. Definitely. <laughs> that is what makes Chloe unique. She's aware of her world being dangerous, but she doesn't let it stop her. But is she fully aware that it's dangerous what she's oh, doing? Oh, she knows. I mean, when she sees all the locos together, she knows to run. But it's just Zoot. So she's like, all right, what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Just one guy. What's he, he going to do to me? <laughs> she does border on that kind of curious slash reckless line. It's kind of, mm. yeah. But that's what makes her quite unique, so yeah. Because you don't see her. She doesn't look scared when she's out there on the streets. No. You know, she knows when it's scary. She knows when it's dangerous. And she knows, okay, we better go. But otherwise, she's just like, I'm happy to be out here sightseeing with my calf. This is a fridge. <laughs> the calf is like, here, just let me go. <laughs> that was kind of sad in a way, because obviously, you're, when you're explaining like these items that you used to have and that you probably won't have ever again, it's quite just sad in a way how like your world's the world you know has ended. You're never gonna get these items again, and everything's changed. Quite sad. That's just, it says a lot about Chloe not having anyone she can connect to and talk to. Yet, you know, mm. she's always talking to Bluebell, so she's got a ton of things on her mind. But you can see that she doesn't have that connection with any of the other humans in her group. She does not feel a part of them at all, and she can't talk to any of them and share her little thoughts. As meaningless as they might be, they're her thoughts. Oh, they weren't meaningless. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, in the grand scheme of things, who's going to listen to Chloe talk about what fridges used to be, you know? Um, <laughs> but for her, it is important. It's her thoughts, and Bluebell listens, you know? I was watching that scene, I was thinking, oh, you're kind of right. Because, like, 
Brady's going to grow up in a world without fridges and stuff. It's quite <laughs> going to be a whole different world. But yeah. Bray, Chloe, where have you been? How is she? Dell came through with the antibiotics. She had some a few hours ago. Oh, it's too early to tell. Is Trudy going to be okay? Yes, Chloe. She had some medicine, and that'll make her better. Hang in there, Trudy. <laughs> Hang in there. But okay, actually, let's, let's stick with Brave for a moment, because um, looking back, um, I, what he does is actually quite telling in a way. Um, let's, let's think. Let's just actually analyze what he does, because um, he goes and um sees his brother. Like he decided it's important to go and tell his brother about Trudy and the baby, rather than saving Trudy. If you see what I mean. Um, I Oh. Do, you, do you think he realized that or like, was it more important to try and save his brother from being Zoot? It's really confusing what he's supposed to be doing. Because in the, before you know anything about he and Zoot and the relationship and who the baby's father really is, you're just left to be like, what is Bray doing? Why is he talking to the bad guy? Is he betraying us? But then when you find out later you still have questions because like you said, what was Bray doing? You know, he wasn't telling Zoot about the baby because when Zoot sees Brady, he's like, what the frick is this? So that talk was not about the fact that Trudy just gave birth. Okay. Yeah. But he is talking to, Tr talking to him about something because later he'll tell Trudy that Zoot wants to see her. He doesn't use the name Zoot, but he just says, you know, I saw him. He wants yeah. to see you, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, what is he talking to his brother about? Is he trying to suss out where his brother's headspace is? Because, you know, Trudy's just had a baby. She is sick. And, of course, we already know Bray's entire goal was to bring his brother back from the dark side and unite the Trinity, the family. Yeah. And if he's not telling Zoot about the baby and he's not telling Zoot that Trudy's sick, because why the frick would Zoot be laughing? <laughs> um... Is he just trying to suss out where his brother is, you know? Um, and it is weird. Why would he choose to do that rather than find medicine to save Trudy? What What is going on in Bray's head? Either he's just overwhelmed. Mm, very messed up. So the first moment when I saw Bray going to Zood, I mean, at least the first time I saw it, I assumed he was going to try and ask him for the medicine. Because oh, if anyone would have it, it would be Zood. Because, well, the locals raided everything. Yeah. So I always wondered if he just went there, told him, look, she's sick, she needs medicine, can you get that for me? And him responding, yeah, sure, I can get that. that that's what I used to think happened there. And I'm still not sure how I feel about that right now, but... Well, judging from the visual of that conversation, look at Bray's expression, look at Zoot's reaction. Zoot, I mean, Bray does not look thrilled to be talking to his brother. He looks like he still has a lot on his mind. Something, he's clearly not telling Zoot everything. And Zoot is being quite jovial and, you know, laughing yeah. and stuff. So I get the sense that you might be right, Sabine. It would make sense for Bray to go to his brother for medicine because if anyone would have it, it would be the leader of the Locos, but he probably didn't tell him it was for Trudy, for whatever reason. I don't know why, um, because if Zoot had the medicine, he totally would have given it to him for Trudy. I, I, I can't see why he wouldn't, even if he was mad at Bray. 
but I don't think he did. And then maybe Zoot was like, I can't give you medicine. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Or whatever, you know, and Zoot's laughing, but Bray isn't laughing. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of questions about what the frick was that conversation even about? Because it didn't achieve anything. Yeah, there was no kind of resolution to that conversation. And then it is just weird how Bray's priorities there was just, it should have been to save Trudy. That should have been the number one priority. But he just didn't help out. He just went to stead to see Martin. Um, and he doesn't do anything else to help. He just finally comes back to the ha- the, the mall, all cavalier, about Chloe back. Like, yeah, great, that's great. She's got two legs. She would have made it on her own. And um, and then he's sitting there by Trudy's side going, you got to make it. And it's like, dude, have you done anything to make sure that would happen? Yeah. He just assumes, like, he's the one who said that sending Dal out for the medication was suicide. I was just about to say that, yeah. <laughs> and then he did nothing to make sure it would happen. He just, he's lucky it worked out. You know, Celine's like, oh, well, Dal came through with the antibiotics, you know, and Bray's like, oh, that's great. Glad something, someone <laughs> did something. Like, oh my goodness, Bray, where is your head at? <laughs> but yeah. are we sure that he didn't know that would go well? Because I don't think he did. That's what I'm saying. He did not know Dal would succeed, and yet he was so cavalier about it. Yeah, but he knew Dal was going into loco territory. And if Dal wouldn't have returned, the only person who could have been holding Dal was his brother. Oh, that's a good question. What if he was looking... Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll, gi- I'll give his benefit of the doubt. It's possible. That is definitely a possibility that he went to talk about. And maybe that's why Zoot was laughing. Because like, who are you talking about? Who do you think I caught, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so, that's, a, that's a theory, but I can't, I can't give that. <laughs> I can't. There's not enough evidence to support it. I will give it, it it's a valid theory, but... Yeah, they're, they're watching it back. Like, it's just, my attitude towards that scene's changed. Like, yeah, Bray, he... Yeah, that was messed up, Bray. <laughs> messed up. up. I mean, we, Bray has already proven that he's a good provisions guy. You know what I mean? If he wanted to look for something, he might have been able to find it. And yeah. He knew Dal was going to that sector for medicine. That would have been the smartest thing, to follow Dal there, to make sure Dal was able to get it. So where was his headspace at? I don't know. And this is the episode makes it's meant to make you question Bray. That's, and it does it. It does a good job. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with you, Bray? I mean, Zandra says it straight up. I can't make Bray out. I thought he was so nice at first. And now I just don't know. But what if Bray... And I feel really defensive of Bray right now. I don't know why. <laughs> but what if he was trying to make that connection with Zoot again in case Trudy wouldn't make it? Well, like I said, it's possible he was just trying to find out where his, bre- his brother's headspace was. But again, it just seems like this wasn't the moment to do it. Yeah. It was a very strange choice to seek out his brother when Trudy's freaking dying. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems a little weird. That's all I'm saying. It's just a little strange that the priority wasn't to get medicine for Trudy. But again, this is the episode that's meant to make us question Bray. It just sucks that we never really do get a real answer for it. You know what I mean? We never told what they were talking about. But hey, that's the fun of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> if Dale doesn't get back soon for antibiotics, do you think he will? No way. He doesn't stand a chance out there alone. The locos don't get him. Another tribe will. Um, yeah, there's so much to unpack in this episode. Um, let's move on to uh, Mr. Doom and Gloom himself, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're just not. It, it's difficult enough, like keeping this like new fragile tribe together, um, especially with so many young kids and a baby. But in this episode, we see Lex kind of 
step things up a gear and he just casts a net of pure misery over everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, he's unrelentless. He's like, yeah, Bray's done a runner. Trudy's going to make it. Dow doesn't stand a chance. He just constantly, like, yeah. Totally we're, we're screwed. And like, let's just talk about his attitude. Like, do you think this constant, like, negativity is not just unhelpful, but it's actually really harmful to the group? Um, and yeah, what do you think about his kind of well, psychological torture, really, <laughs> to everyone? Oh, man. Bra- I, sometimes it seems like Lex is doing this on purpose to manipulate people. But then there are other times when it feels like, no, that's really just his outlook. And he's had to learn the hard way. You can't be positive about anything. And he won't let anyone be positive about anything. He's just going to tear down any kind of hope you might have. Um, that's just, that's Lex's headspace. That is the reality he lives in, apparently, where it's just like, even with very little evidence, he doesn't have faith in almost anything, you know? And uh, he doesn't want you to either. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to believe in anything good. <laughs> yeah, but come on, Lex is more concerned pl- about playing a video game at that point than oh, yeah. anything else. Again, I'm not saying he's doing this with any kind of valiant, you know, there's no motive behind it. That's just his viewpoint. It all sucks, and as soon as you get on board with that, the better things will be. <laughs> uh, but I don't find him as irritating as I find Bray, because at least I get that this is who Lex is. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's just Lex being really annoying. Again, whatever. But with Bray, I'm frustrated because he's continuing to burn bridges of trust. That it's just like, Bray, when you showed up at the mall, almost everyone except Lex was on your side. <laughs> Everybody was like, this guy's cool. He's really nice. They all voted you in. And all you've done ever since is to systematically dismantle all of those bridges of trust. <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself, Bray? So for me, Bray was frustrating right this episode. Lex was just being Lex, you know. But you know what I did notice that I found interesting? Is how similar Lex and Jack actually are. Like, they are both cynical and selfish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, And, and yet the difference is that Jack is small, and he can't ever use his might to, you know, force his will on anybody, while Lex does have might to enforce his will on others. But they both are very in the same headspace about this survival situation. Keep what you have. Do not share anything with anyone unless it makes you look good. And it's, it's wild seeing the two. And that's why Lex is able to trap Jack, because he's just like him. <laughs> that's a good point yeah <laughs> that's a very good point and where where lex needs to use his might jack realizes he needs to use his brain so they become dependent on him so that they will need him as well yeah those two are kind of funny to watch together because in a way it doesn't bother me that lex is driving jack crazy because jack is doing the exact same thing that lex is doing you know hoarding food keeping supplies from everybody else and, and at the end of the day, their motives are exactly the same. They just, they want to make sure they're taken, okay, taken care of and they don't trust anyone and that's fine. But um, Lex is that guy in every zombie apocalypse that you totally need because he's like an awesome zombie killing machine, but you freaking hate having to live with him. <laughs> he is that guy. Like you need him, but you're just like, oh my gosh, it's, you're lucky you're good with a gun. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So, so true. 
Right, he is a zombie healing badass, but oh my goodness, sharing a habitat with him is the worst. Um, it, it did annoy me though when obviously Celine needs to keep the, the baby clean in this episode, um, and instead of using the water rations that he has stolen himself earlier, mm-hmm. he uses even more of the precious yeah. water from the water tank. That really annoyed me from Lex this episode. <laughs> like, use the water you've already stolen, but no, he's but of course not. He stole it for him. I love what he says about it, though, when he, you know, Brian, Brian, like, when he's talking to Celine, you know, and Sandra's like, oh, Lex, that's so beautiful of you, you know, and sacrificing yourself for a little baby, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know me. I'm like a camel. I haven't drank anything for days. And Ryan's looking at him like, what's the fr- what? Why would we do that? Like, I thought we were saving the water for ourselves, and, and then later he says, if I can make myself look like a hero, I will. It doesn't hurt to be popular. I love that line. It doesn't hurt to be popular. Yeah. And because uh, it does show how clever he can be unexpectedly. Like he, he latched onto that situation very quickly. <laughs> was, you know, because nobody else offered her the water. But he was so quick to say, oh, don't use your own water ration, Celine. But it's also a hint that you notice he's being super nice to Celine in this episode. He's already tried it on with Amber. Okay. And that didn't work out. Now he's trying it on with Celine. <laughs> Seeing where he can go with that. <laughs> he's just feeling out, sending out his feelers for his options. Sending out his feelers and at the same time, making Sandra jealous with that. Oh yeah, you'll see it soon that he's sending out those feelers for Celine. Sandra's going to be like, excuse me? What, what, what is this? What is this? Oh, Lex. I don't like sweet corn. Does that mean I can have more baked beans? No way. If you don't like sweet corn, that's your problem. If you can have my share, I've got enough already. Anybody want to give me this spaghetti? I did enjoy that little discussion um, towards the end of the episode where everyone's kind of discussing um, what they're willing to trade for different bits of food. Um, like Zandra saying, um, it, can she have more beans if she doesn't like sweet corn? And Lex pleading for more spaghetti. It was just kind of like a nice little moment to see them trying to go, negotiate and share what little they had. Um, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts about that little kind of scene of everyone like getting along a bit and sharing? I love that conversation. I love the dialogue. It's such a realistic conversation about rationing and uh, how quickly certain people share their food for different reasons. Patsy's willing to, you know, give something else because she's had enough. I love the fact that Lex makes a big fuss about rationing, but he still did it. Yeah, <laughs> like he, he gives Amber a hard time just to make her eyes roll back in her head, but he still like publicly <laughs> abides by their rationing rule. Um, and I, I love the little conversation where she, you know Sandra's like, "You can have my spaghetti because I'm watching my figure," and he's like, "You're not the only one." <laughs> it's, just, it's really nice banter in that conversation. I like that. If you don't like sweet corn, that's your problem. <laughs> Because it's like it's a, it's such a realistic view of what it would be like. It's something you don't think about, you know. As an adult, you're like, you just want to get your nutrients. You don't care what you're really eating. You just know the calories are what's are important. But yeah, if you're a kid, if you don't like corn, can I have more beans? I don't want the corn. I'm with Sandra. I want. Can I? Can I have your beans? Can I have that instead? It was just a nice, a uh, little heartwarming scene. Yeah. <laughs> it also says something about their background, though. I mean, Amber instantly goes, well, if you don't like it, that's your problem. <laughs> Whereas Sandra probably got away with it at home. Because if she doesn't like it, she didn't have to eat it. 
At least that's how it comes across to me. It's also really, it's a clever way to deal with rationing. Um, if you, because think about it, if you force Zandra to eat everything that's on her plate, that means the sweet corn's getting ruined, like wasted, because mm-hmm. she didn't want to eat it. But if these guys are, you know, reasonably trading food back and forth, like yeah. I'll take your sweet corn, you can have my extra beans, the food's actually being used reasonably. Yeah. Everybody's getting their calories and all the food is being used up rather than being put in a bin because somebody didn't like this mm-hmm. specific thing, you know? And oh, that leads us to that fantastic final part of the episode. <laughs> oh. I yes. absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> Which was Amber laying into Bray for oh. Okay, let's just, just take a moment to appreciate how fantastic was that quote? <laughs> how fantastic was it? I'm curious, Bray. Where exactly have you been? Well, I told you. Well, why should we believe you? You could be lying. It's what I've been saying all along. You claim you've been all over the city, but somehow you managed to come back completely empty-handed. It was all gone. Everything? Every plaster, every tube of toothpaste, every single little aspirin? I was only looking for what Trudy needed. There wasn't time for anything else. Not even a split second to pick up something we might need? Something useful? And give him a break. He was trying to save Trudy's life. So was Dell. He risked his neck. And I'm very grateful to him. Only him? Not the rest of us? You stand there stuffing down our food, but you don't seem to think you owe us anything in return. What is it with you, Bray? The comings and goings, the air of mystery. Is it all a pose or is it for real? Come on, Bray. What's the big secret? It's my favorite quote of of this episode. You stand there stuffing down our food, but you seem to think you don't owe us anything. Oh, I'm like, Amber, that's right. That is right. Because he never said, he just shows up like, I brought Chloe home. Like, oh, congratulations (laughs) to you. We've been taking care of your dying girlfriend and baby, you know. What, you have anything to say for yourself? Oh my gosh, it's such beautiful, righteous anger at Amber. Like, she should have, like, a flame of hair, like, just below <laughs> and behind her. <laughs> I love it. Oh, she just went full force into him, like, yeah, this is it, I've had enough. <laughs> like, she's like, what is it with you, Bray? What's with the comings and the goings? And she's right. He's looking at these guys like, what? I said, dude, you found out, you came to us. You had your pregnant girlfriend, she gave birth, you disappeared. But you came back with some supplies. Okay, fine. Maybe you should have said something, but we get it. And then you find out she's sick, and you disappear again, and you came back with nothing but Chloe? Like, are you serious? <laughs> and he doesn't have anything to say to them. He doesn't show any gratitude. He's like, I'm, I'm grateful to Dal. And she's like, just him? Not the rest of us? Oh, my, I love... It's such... It's so beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm on fire. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> I love Ember at that moment in time. I think it's one of my favorite Ember moments, actually. Oh, it's gorgeous. It really is. And it's one of those times where it's like, it's completely righteous that she feels this way and that she's saying this. It's not a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, Bray's not a victim. He causes this for himself. And he is acting like an ungrateful dick to these guys. You know, because at the end of the day, no matter what he feels about the mall rats, no matter what you feel about the mall rats, they are taking care of Trudy. They are trying to keep this girl alive, and she is not their responsibility. Where is Bray? What has he been doing? Yeah. You know, and he just laid this on them, and they have every right to be angry because he has not provided anything to this tribe but trouble, and he has nothing to say for it. He doesn't have an excuse. He doesn't have a reason. 
And he's lying. We know he's lying because we know he didn't go and find supplies for Trudy. So we're just like, yeah, Amber, let him have it. I think we, I think we all actually agree with Lex's last line in this show. Or at least in this episode. It's okay, we better make it our business. Yeah. yeah. Ray doesn't want, to know, want us to know. We have to make it our business to know. And it's that one time where it's just like, yeah, Lex is onto something. Because this is getting ridiculous. You know, because Lex will admit to you. He's one of the first people who admit. And he does admit later in the season. He didn't like Bray on site. He's given Bray a hard time just because he was one of the cool guys. He's never liked the cool guys. Fine. But at this point, it was just it was just Lex who had a problem with him. And Bray's burned bridges with everybody for no freaking reason. He's just made things complicated. And now it's like, yeah, I, we have no choice but to listen to Lex. He's got a point because you're acting like an idiot, making things worse. Again, making things worse for Trudy. Why, Bray? Why? <laughs> <laughs> By the time Trudy is going to come out of her sickness, she's going to find herself in a horrible dynamic that she didn't cause. <laughs> it's all because of prey. That's true, yeah. And he never takes any. It, I, this, is, uh, this is one thing that always drives me crazy. Bray will never actually acknowledge that he caused these problems. He's never, he's never going to acknowledge that. He's the reason things were difficult for Trudy and the tribe in the first place. That he made it that way. It didn't have to be that way. Uh, one of those brave flaws that drives me nuts. <laughs> and yet he was so dreamy. I actually never really was into him. Bray's not really <laughs> my type. But I get why he's so dreamy to the young girls. He's a beautiful boy, but frankly, I just, even as a kid, I don't think I would have the patience for Bray. <laughs> I don't want to sit there wondering where I stand with you. No, not even at 14. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was a teenager when that episode first aired. It was just, I could see the attraction back then, but looking back at it later, I keep thinking, how can he be such an ass to everyone? It actually gives you some insight as to why Martin might have hated his older brother. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Bray was the golden boy. You know what I mean? When we get those flashback scenes and we hear them talk about it, or at least Bray, because we never really get to hear Zoot's side of the story. Um, you know, Bray does explain. He does express the fact that his brother was the baby of the family and they were always together. And Bray was sort of the individual who did his own thing. But the flashback shows Bray is very popular kind of a loner but you know and, and 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 martin's rage at his brother you're like what is your deal kid but i kind of wonder if this is where it came from you've got this guy who's so good looking and doesn't have to try to do anything girls are throwing their panties at him everywhere he goes he didn't even want him he's, he's batting him away but the girls are there and and it must have driven martin crazy to live with this person <laughs> yeah it absolutely did like, I'm trying. I'm actually trying. And you don't have to try. And it just, ah. <laughs> and then the one girl he does like, when, he, when Martin finally likes Trudy, he sees her <laughs> falling. Brother. He's like, what? How can you like that jerk? <laughs> he gets everything. <laughs> They're both petulant brats, Bray and Martin. They're both petulant, um, entitled <laughs> brats. Both of them. They just, it manifests differently for both of them. That's all. But they're the same. You can tell they came from the same family where they were indulged 
and used to getting what they want, and they both have a habit of throwing tantrums when they don't get what they want. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can tell they're brothers. <laughs> yeah, because where Bray is used to getting handed everything, he's used to having to fight to show he's better than his brother. But Martin acts just as spoiled as entitled as Bray. So his parents clearly indulged him. He do, he has that entitled nice boy attitude. Like, because I care about you, I'm owed a relationship. That's how Martin acts. Yeah, he and does. And it a freaking bit because he didn't get one. <laughs> I'll burn the whole world down. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do wonder, did he just decide, did he just go crazy when he went full on suit? Or was it his way... Of showing to the world, look, I'm more important than my brother is. Well, I definitely think there was a, a conscious choice. When I look at all the information we've been able to gather from the show and characters' perspectives, I don't think Martin just went crazy. Well, I'm sure he was emotionally broken, definitely. Um, especially the fact that he wasn't allowed to see his father. Like, Bray thought he was doing him a favor by keeping him out of the hospital room. And he didn't get to say anything to his dad before he died. Um... But I do think it was a conscious choice to become Zoo. This was the nice guy saying, okay, okay. Nobody liked the nice guy. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not going to be the nice guy anymore. Girls like assholes. I am going to be the biggest asshole. And his first goal was to steal his brother's girlfriend, Ebony. And he did. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, there was a, there was, that was a statement because he didn't care about Ebony. But he stole her from his brother. Uh, that was a statement right there. That, that was a mark yeah. in this kid's moment. Having her, this hot chick, by his side. He didn't care if she burned in a fire. But he had her. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I do think it was a lot of uh, that. You're trying to be a decent human being. And you're resentful that it's not getting you what you want. You embrace the dark side. Fine. You didn't like me when I was nice. Screw you. I'm setting the world on fire. And it worked. He had friends. He was popular. He had followers. People wanted to join his group. Ebony says it herself. She literally refers to Martin as a loser and Zoot as a visionary. In her eyes, they were two different people. Mm -hmm. One of them, she wouldn't have given the time of day. Second, she was like, I would do anything to be by this guy's side. And it's sad. It's really sad. Because he's just, doing, he's just going through a, a rebellious teenage phase and didn't get to live to uh, you know, move past it. Cool. Um, so are we all in agreement with our favorite quotes for the episode? Or is there anyone got any other favorite quotes apart from Amber? I do like what Amber says when she's taking care of Trudy. Where are you, Bray? Where are you when she needs you? Where are you, Bray? Where are you when she needs you? Because it's that question you're left with. The entire episode is about what is yeah. going on with this guy? You know, he clearly is supposed to care about Trudy, and yet he's just spends his episode running around like, what are you doing? What is going I also like this one from Jack, um, when I think it's, it's Lex and Celine are arguing over whether or not, you know, Bray can be trusted, blah blah blah. When the going got tough, he didn't have the guts to stick around. Well, I hope you're wrong. It doesn't matter either way. If Dale doesn't get back soon with the antibiotics... Lex is saying, oh, he's not going to get, Dal's not going to get the medicine. Bray's ditched us with her kid, you know, with this lady and her kid. And, and you know, Celine is saying, no, it, you just didn't like him and you got to give him a chance, blah, blah, blah. And Jack suddenly just goes, it doesn't matter either way. If Dal doesn't get back with the antibiotics, I like it because he's just breaking up this circular argument that doesn't really matter. 
we both know that Lex and Celine are both biased. Lex hates Bray. Celine likes Bray. So you can't really trust either of their opinions in this argument. And Jack just cuts to the quick. Your argument doesn't matter because Trudy's dying. Okay? Yeah, that leads us to... Um, obviously, Lex has quite a few great quotes in this episode. Oh, you can have some of mine. I'm watching my figure. You're not the only one. Exactly. <laughs> um, when he's playing the game. If I give you permission to use my batteries for that moronic game. It's not just a game. It's training. It's focusing my mind, sharpening my fighting skills. It's just a game. It's developing my hand coordination, my reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> it's sharpening my hand-eye coordination. That's just such a kid thing to say. I like, I love that. I was like, yeah, it's not just a video game, mom. It's like, it's really important. It's like, <laughs> I loved it. Hold him back, Ryan. I might really hurt him. <laughs> And, um, oh yeah, poor Ryan as well. Um, if my girlfriend was sick, I'd stay with her. That'd make him more sick. That would make her even more sick. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got so many good lines in this episode. He's such a dick. <laughs> uh, I do love Lex. He's just <laughs> I do like this weird scene that kind of make, brings Lex's headspace into question. Um, Everybody gathers in the room to see Trudy take the medicine, right? Which is very interesting because most of them have wanted to avoid that situation. But of course, this is where the action is. So everyone's there. And Dal, I mean, Jack says, try not to spill too much water. And Lex says, shut up, Jack. Try not to spill too much water. Shut up, Jack. And it's really interesting because it tells you that this is getting to Lex more than he wants to admit. Like, he doesn't care about Trudy, but... This is an uneasy situation, dealing with mortality, you know? And even Lex is affected by it. <laughs> like, even Lex recognizes, like, Jack, this is not the time. Shut up. <laughs> I actually like some, something Amber said in that scene very much as well. With a, come on, that's enough, she needs some rest. She doesn't need us gawking at her. Come on, that's enough. She needs some rest, she doesn't need us gawking at her. Move it. She's not a spectator sport. Move it. She's not a spectator sport. Yeah, because everyone's in there, and it's like, where were you when Amber actually needed your help? <laughs> Come on, I mean, Amber had to leave Trudy unattended to make her some soup because Zombra wouldn't be near sick people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone's just standing. And she asks Zandra to look after Trudy. Zandra, Zandra says she doesn't want to. And Ryan just stands there, unresponsive, and walks on. I know, she's surrounded by useless idiots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Amber, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. She's the, she's the Ben from the original Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> she's the one hero who's like, I can't believe I need to survive in this house with you people. But you know what? I, I, I think it's cool that we we didn't touch on it, but I just think it was interesting. There's a couple scenes that actually get to show us more of what Zoot's doing on the streets. Mm -hmm. like the episode opens with him tying someone to a pole. <laughs> and he's like, happy! <laughs> it's like, wow, that escalated quickly. What was that argument about? <laughs> and then like later, he's raiding their home and dragging a bunch of these poor kids out. and They're all shackled. And I'm like, what is going on with these locals? 
I do love, yeah, those little insights into <laughs> windows into their world. He's like, yeah, what's what's happening? What's going on? I wish I could have heard that whole conversation. Uh, I wish we knew so much more about what Zoot was up to. But it's nice because of, up till then, we've only seen him have street fights and ride around in the streets doing nothing. So this actually gives them a little bit of an objective of some sort. Mm-hmm. That brings episodes to a close. Um... Yeah, thanks again to the panel, um, and we'll see you next time in episode seven. Uh, so yeah, until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.